Welcome to Stay Reading, a modern take on the book club. I'm Chris Penrose. And I'm Megan Yuri Young. Today's conversation is the final episode of Stay Reading Season 1 and features Joe Amio and Jasmine Mosafari. I can't believe we made it. And I'm so excited that Joe, a person I looked up to in the city as a multidisciplinary creator, is on for our last episode. And Jasmine is a filmmaker that we are all going to be talking about a lot in the future. I highly recommend you check out her first full-length feature, Firecrackers. So let's get into our opening question, which is, what kind of reader are you? Jasmine, do you want to start? Um, I read a lot now based on my work, because my job requires me to read a ton of scripts. Like, usually week to week, I have, like, a stack of scripts I need to read. Um, So that takes up most of my brain space. And then, other than that, I'm also a writer. I write my own films, and I'm starting to write TV. So a lot of the reading I do is research-based, but it's also... It's also stuff I'm just interested in. It's stuff I would read even if I wasn't a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. But I picked a career that, like, my career is my life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like it all blends into one. So I read a lot of stuff that's uh, articles, scripts, um, and I do read books, but they are all digital now because I move so much. I can't take books with me. So that's the type of stuff I read. Cool. Joe, the question to you, what kind of reader are you? Um, I think I read in a bunch of different medias. Um, I have books that I love always in architecture, fashion style that are more, I guess, uh, aesthetic references. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that a lot of the books I choose, um, are mostly from artists that I just use as more visual inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to text and, uh, written word, it's mostly lately I've been into, uh, epigenetics and like biohacking and I don't know. Just stuff that enriches daily kind of life stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've heard a few people yeah. who are yeah. who are on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I think that's an interesting one as well with the aesthetics. Um, that's more and more. I think the return of print and the kind of surge of it, like Virgil Abloh's um, book, was released recently, and um, it's like basically all of his work mm-hmm. put into one with a few articles and context. But it's so much just visual. Reference. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a speech. That one. <laughs> the uh, I don't know what it's called. It's it just has um art. I think artists and quotes on the cover, and he's hold. It's a picture of him, his arm holding a book. Oh yeah. See, I have. There's a newer version of that. Ah, okay. um, that's a kind of. Oh, is that edition. the one that you were talking about yeah. recently? Yeah. It says a uh, personal copy on it, and it's got uh, a measuring tape as the uh, built-in bookmark. Oh uh, no, I haven't um, seen that. Yeah, this one was for the museum show in Chicago. I think. Yes. Yeah. And when I think of like visual books too, currently I'm thinking of the Rihanna tomb that just like was released. It's humongous. It's like I'm not a I'm not much of a fashion book person, but I just thought, yeah, if she was gonna release a book, of course it would be of that massive size. And you and I flipped it open at uh, chapters recently and it's just obviously beautiful behind the scenes footage, photo- footage of her life since mm-hmm. her like over the span of her career. But it is really fascinating how we, like, there's just so many books for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for mm-hmm. sure. Um, you have um, a laptop open, Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> Which, and you're not the first one now. Yeah. You're, like, at least the third, I think. <laughs> Second or third, yeah, yeah. So what's what's on the screen? Um, well, like I said, I read a lot of scripts. Um, but I couldn't pick any scripts that I read to consider to direct because they're not made and they're private. <laughs> So that's why I have a laptop, because this is how you get scripts in PDF. We don't get them sent to you. 
Um, but I I picked a, a script from Chernobyl, the HBO oh my limited gosh, series. So good. Yes. Wow, that was like probably. I'm so sorry. I'm about to geek out right now. But that <laughs> movie, like, okay, I want to hear the excerpt you have. But that was such a powerful uh, series. Sorry, not movie series. That mm-hmm. I I felt like it really honed in on human nature to the core and just how we will never learn from our mistakes. We'll just keep repeating it, and it's just. Our nature. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited yeah. right now. <laughs> well, yeah, the, reason, the reason why I picked it is because I write, too. So I like to study scripts and, like, especially well-written scripts. And TV is, like, I really think about TV now. It's something, like, I think there's a way to make really cinematic TV. Like, and this, and, and Chernobyl is an example of that because it was only five episodes. And so, so that was, like, I was really drawn to that. But also the writing is is amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the excerpt I picked, I mean, it's not too long. It's it's actually at the very, very end of episode five, which is the last episode. And I, I to me, this chunk of dialogue is said by the main character who's played by Jared Harris. And he it's really like the whole theme of of the show, mm-hmm. which is, is is examining human nature. But it's also about um, truth and lies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I think I quoted this one. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I think I remember this quote. <laughs> so this is a piece of dialogue that's like heard on a tape that's playing in voiceover. Uh, to be a scientist is to be naive. We are so focused on our search for the truth, we fail to consider how few actually want us to find it. But it is always there, whether we can see it or not, whether we choose to or not. The truth doesn't care about our needs or wants. It doesn't care about our governments, our ideologies, our religions. It will lie in wait for all of time. And this, at last, is the gift of Chernobyl, where I once would fear the cost of truth. Now I only ask, what is the cost of lies? And that's mm. how and that's how it ends. And I thought wow. that was an amazingly poignant uh, piece of dialogue that was written by Craig uh, Mazin, who wrote the script. You think about, like, the naivete sometimes that we have, like, that does everybody actually want truth like there's this assumption we all do I remember doing work in the education system and seeing thinking that like just because this thing will be good for students that everybody would be on board mm-hmm. but it's so much more complicated than that like mm-hmm. uh, change can be threatening to people it can um upend <coughs> their world or personally it can be challenging things that they're resisting that they don't even realize why they're resisting it mm-hmm. um, and also on a personal level um, sometimes when you're being truthful obviously separate from Chernobyl but uh, are you just being truthful to alleviate guilt and just putting something else on someone else now like it's so complicated and complex and you anyone who lives with a black and white um, ideology will think no always tell the truth which is, is admirable on paper but there's other components to it um, and the way we let we, we're not even truthful to ourselves I would say so sometimes we're discovering what our truth is as we're living and and that in itself brings so much gray to everything yeah. and you see even from there <coughs> the obvious mistakes they made um, and obviously this is um, been put together as a show so there's still like so much stuff that we were not privy to or or whatnot or what what is the truth right you're retelling you're when I actually heard this really great thing about memories is when you're when you're remembering something you're only remembering the last memory of it Mm -hmm. so you're never really there's only one moment in which you're remembering the real event and so Again, it's just um, really interesting, this concept of truth. I was just going to say, yeah, I think I think of truth as personal, too. Like, not just like, this is a huge event that this mm-hmm. story is covering, but 
before I went into film, I took journalism at U of T for a year. And I feel like I've always been obsessed with the truth and like uncovering human truths or like examining personal human truths. And I do that in all my movies. And often my movies look at like ugly truths that I think we don't want to look at mm-hmm. as as people, as 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 especially as women, because that's like the the characters in my film are often lead or women, the protagonist. So, um, yeah, I, I really appreciated this this story's like examination of lies and truth and lies. Mm-hmm. And and it's something that as I'm working on new things, it's it's feeding into my work as well, that mm-hmm. exploration. As someone that writes scripts, how does that passage speak to your approach or your ideas? Like, what do you take when you're, because you're sharing that with mm-hmm. us as someone who's a reader of scripts um, and, and visualizing what's on the page, and a but also writing scripts. it. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, is that passage in some way showed you something you want to do or did it appeal some kind of insight for your right you as a writer well I think scripts are really strange because you're writing them for different audiences at different points you're writing a script so a reader reads it and is interested mm-hmm. but it's also a document a blueprint for everybody who's going to translate what you have there onto a screen mm-hmm. where with books and po- poems and stuff that's often not the case so when I read that I'm like how effective dialogue can be. Because I'm like, you know, a lot of times you wouldn't want to put something like your theme into a piece of dialogue. Sometimes it's very on the nose. Mm -hmm. But in this sense, this was like a recording of a person who committed suicide at the beginning of of the show. Mm -hmm. So to come to revisit it, it was used as a device to kind of wrap up the entire thing and also to um, sort of give give purpose to his life. He took Mm -hmm. his own life. Mm -hmm. So... I, when I'm reading that, I'm looking at it not only just like thematically, the idea of examining truth and lies, but I'm looking at it technically and being like, how was this used mm-hmm. in the context of this uh, this screen adaption mm-hmm. of this of this writing? And how does it work? Does it work? Does it not work? It totally works. It's very like just even reading it out loud, you get you're moved. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if, it, if you can't read a script and feel like that, it will never translate to screen. So I like to see like... Um, I mean, I did it backwards because I watched it, then I read the <laughs> script. But but I think it still resonates when you just read read the written document. And actually, just out of curiosity, before I move on to another text, um, you're a scriptwriter. You're in the industry. But how do you find? How do you like access these scripts? Is it because you're in the industry, or can like someone like me access the Chernobyl? This was script? online. This oh, was so just it is like just a, online. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you yeah, yeah. online. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I've actually um, geeked out. There was a period of time where I was like downloading scripts to my favorite films and also downloading scripts to films I hadn't seen and then watching them after. Like, there's so many um, websites and depositories okay. out there. Okay, okay. There's a I cool know. website, too, that... Um, <clears throat> forget what it's called. You, you'll know, probably, where you can put up a script and you get ratings. Oh, I've never... No, I've never... Oh, yeah, there's a, a, a fil- another filmmaker, Res Dai. Sounds, hor- sounds horrifying. <laughs> well, no, but what happens is <laughs> you can actually um, get... Fi- people are getting films made. This oh, that's well. what I was wow. gonna say. Yeah. That'd be the fear is that you put something up and they would use your script you know mm. what I mean? or take ideas from great scripts on this place to form something. You know what I mean? Especially if it hasn't been uh, made or if it hasn't been, yeah. Um, yeah, there's no protection. Yeah. But yet then there are the upside, right? You have to kind of, it's risk at the end of the day too. Like, do you share and then potentially get someone to invest in your idea, or do you share and someone steals your idea? It's like, well, oh, I think, production, through, through, I think through this, um, because it's, uh, it's something that's so public mm. and is becoming a part of the public, um, sorry, the 
the infrastructure mm-hmm. of the industry that what you're seeing is really highly rated scripts are then more getting looked at by production companies. Mm-hmm. And though we're in an age where very little original content's made, um, there still is um, a chance where you're you're going to get your work seen mm-hmm. by people that you normally wouldn't get to read it. Because it's like if all these high ratings mm-hmm. are there, then people who are kind of searching for new talent and new um uh, projects mm-hmm. will obviously choose the nine out of ten versus the <laughs> two course. out of ten. Right. Oh, so um, it's like a platform. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Joe, what uh, did you bring for us? Anything uh, that links to our conversation or something completely different? Feel free. Yeah. Either direction. Either direction. Yeah, I don't think Tiger Woods. Is <laughs> that uh, I don't know which one I'm gonna go with. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the uh, Joe Dispenza book. Okay. Uh, it's from Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. How to lose your mind and create a new one. Hmm. So I go right into the passage? Yeah, go, yeah sure. go right into the passage. When you overcome your senses, when you understand that you are not bound by the chains of your past, when you live a life that is greater than your body, your environment, and time, all things are possible. The universal intelligence that animates the existence of all things will both surprise and delight you. It wants nothing more than to provide you with access to all you want, in short, when you change your mind, you change your life. Mm. So we've had, um, I don't think anyone's brought a Joe Dispenza book, but we've referenced Joe Dispenza, especially when Akil was on. I still don't remember jo- who do- Joe Dispenza so is. He, yeah, so bring. So who's <clears throat> Joe Dispenza again? Well, I just know him as the author of this book. That okay, okay. But <laughs> and how did you come across his book? Um, this was a recommendation from both my sister and my wife. Okay. Um, and I have both this and the audio book, so okay. they're both... Uh, like if I'm at the gym or th- I'll just put it on too. So it's something you revisit a lot. Yes. It's one of those, um, it's mostly based in quantum physics and what you think the basis of uh, it is more in what you think kind of shapes your reality mm-hmm. and affects not only the future. It's just mostly deals with that quantum, I guess, quantum physics, quantum realm. And, stuff. and then how that actually plays out in your personal life, your career, yeah. your health. And yeah, it just says that, uh, or at least the main thing, it allows you to feel like there's a freedom in all these possibilities in the quantum realm. And your attitude and your focus helps shape not only the future, but, I don't know, your perception and well-being, which in fact changes the future. I think that's an interesting thing that you have revisited the book. It's been recommended by multiple people that you have the audio book version and listen to that regularly because there is some material like I remember reading uh, Franz Fanon and his material you know wretched of the earth black um, skin white mask is so dense that Mm -hmm. like you can read it and I know what every word said and I've read the sentence that I've read this paragraph but yeah to really actually like well what does this mean in the world what does this mean to me what does this mean today Versus, like, I look at that same thing 10 years later, and um, what does it mean then? And and, and there is um, some content out there that's so dense, or the ideas are uh, just so hard to access in one read mm-hmm. that you need to revisit. Would you find? Would you oh, say yeah, that totally. That's... And what I find, too, what I've heard about, I haven't read any of Joe Dispenza, um, but I'm getting a lot of uh, recommendations or passages and actually did a meditation recently that was led, not like him, but like a YouTube one. And it was part of a meditation club now. I don't know how that happened, but it's fun. And, <laughs> and what I realized, too, is there's, I mean, I feel like you enter 
points of your life where you just, it's not even um, necessarily unpacking the text, but it's unpacking yourself through the text. Mm-hmm. So I feel like Joe Dispenza is one of those uh, writers and um, those people that are helping you figure out what you what what you need to figure out. So rereading it or re-listening to it is just like, it's almost like therapy. It is, because there's, um, there's different elements in the book that may not, uh, I guess, speak to you now, but then you may be going through something or something, and you're like, oh my God, that chapter now mm-hmm. speaks volumes to what I'm going through. That's how I go with Friends. Yeah. I, I watch, we watch Friends, and, <laughs> and I'm like, oh yes, see what Chandler just went through. It's like, I just went mm. through that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have such a different example of the same thing. So there's a film that I rewatched so many times, Clockers, mm-hmm. um, Spike Lee film. That, yeah, and of all of his films, like, this is the one that I I feel like I just love the most. Um, And I found out maybe after, like, 12 times watching it that it was based on a book. (laughs) 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 I didn't didn't know, so I came... Oh, Richard Price? Yeah. um, I I know that author. Yeah, he's he's known for um, doing some really amazing, like, exploring the world of, like, crime and police and streets and... um, it was so interesting to me, though, is like it re- I revisit the film a lot because I love the this thing of like you have somebody who has certain gifts and talents and interests that their environment doesn't really nurture, mm-hmm. you know, and so they're applying the, themselves as best they can to their environment mm-hmm. and are in conflict with their environment. Um, and then just this like deep drive within the person to be able to like find your way mm-hmm. to the that that thing that like is beyond your environment beyond your circumstances and like there's that this really interesting theme in and clockers about that um but it's also like a really good exploration of just you know when i was there was a filmmaker at um an uh, Inuit filmmaker who had a premiere at TIFF recently, and one of the things he said about his film um, is he got this great quote from a man who was, like, resisting um, being pulled out of nomadic life. Like, I think there were government officials that were trying to pull him out of it, and, and he said this thing, like, the more people are in one place, the more bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Just a really simple thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, when you see, like, this density of New mm-hmm. York City mm-hmm. and... And the way humanity can get stripped away. Like, mm-hmm. I just think it's um, cool, but that Spike explores it. But then Richard Price explores it in such a different way. And I was mm. wondering, like, I don't know if you've seen the film, sure, but no, oh, you haven't? Oh, okay. I haven't seen it either. Yeah. Well, it's so, there's a scene in, or a passage in the book that I read that's not in the film at okay. all. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, is expressed kind of but it's i just thought it was so interesting oh i have a big question afterwards but go on (laughs) so i'll just read this quickly um an hour after the cops beat a wordless retreat piling into their cruiser with without threat or apology strike and buddha hat sat in silence parked on the jersey side of the river right on the water's edge staring out at the shut down new york skyline buddha hat lit a cigarette and strike rolled down his window for air it was three o'clock in the morning. The only other life around them was a gray-haired white man in a soft gray sweater. Baby-faced, smiling, he paced rapidly back and forth along the river, talking to himself. Buddha hat squinted at the white man, then slowly turned to strike. When do you think you're going to die? 
strike press the forearm across his gut, the pain like a vicious intelligence announcing a response to the question. I don't know. I got some years. 20 maybe. Yeah, I'd like 20 more if I could get it. Strike nodded, completely exhausted from the night. It's thought like that scene is so visual. Like mm -hmm. they're on the Jersey side. They're yeah. looking at New York. Three in the morning. There's this crazy guy. They have this deep conversation. Like I, I don't know how that doesn't make it into the movie. If I, if I read the book and I was trying to adapt it, but the movie doesn't need it. Mm -hmm. Like the movie stands well, on its own. So first of all, my question was, um, book or movies? Right? <laughs> you know that classic, the classic question. <laughs> like with, uh, for me, it always books but it's also mm -hmm. because there's just so much more there but then lately um i have been torn because i'm you know reading books has been i i said this once in another podcast it's more of a luxury now it takes a lot more time mm -hmm. so um but i'm such a i love stories and storytelling so much that so and i'm i am a very visual person so like from television shows now that are just, I would almost argue, surpassing um, movies because there's more um, time to do it, uh, and then movies themselves. So I'm torn, but I still think I, I err on the side of books. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I think it's, um, a part of me thinks it's whatever you see first or okay. exposed to first because uh, if you're reading a book, mm -hmm. obviously the word and your imagination goes farther and towards a direction mm -hmm. that may not match what the filmmaker mm -hmm. makes. And then other times when I love a film and it's my first mm -hmm. uh, experience when I read the book it's based on, it doesn't compare because I'm thinking automatically. I'm like, oh, no, I'm still thinking this is Ed Norton's character in this film <laughs> <laughs> when I'm reading the book. Yeah. It doesn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah, yeah. do it justice. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like we're always recently recency biased. Oh, that's about, true. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. For me, it's just like the depends. On, there are two different forms. Yeah. And I think the artists that are in each of those forms um, really can accomplish incredible things. And so I've had times, like I think Clockers is a great example. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to say what's better, the film or the book, I don't think you can resolve that argument. Mm -hmm. Like I think really it's like what Richard Price does, he brings you like uh, really deeply into New York City and this tension of like being in the street life and not really wanting to do that fully, but mm -hmm. some people around you do, mm -hmm. and the and the relationship of police who are both doing crime mm -hmm. and doing justice, like brings you so much into that. But I think Spike Lee's perspective and the way he tells New York mm -hmm. City um, and and centers his blackness in how he tells that story. I think. Um, and, and and expresses that visually. It's like they're, mm -hmm. these are two artists. I think it's a great example because they've their level of artistic achievement is mm -hmm. so high in both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just the medium. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's like which one's better? It's like you know, it just brings <laughs> us back to like the Kobe MJ, you know, argument. You'll never resolve it. <laughs> I feel like Akil was in on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying. It's like you can't really. It depends on the story, and not all written stories like novels should be made into film yeah mm -hmm. i think that people a lot of producers or people looking for ip are like this film did really or this book did really well i want to turn it into a movie but mm -hmm. not all not all books a lot of books that deal with introspection or characters that think in their head and stuff that usually doesn't translate well mm -hmm. to screen but it's great when you read it mm -hmm. it's like playing upon a different part of your mind and your brain mm -hmm. uh, than a movie ever would so it's like you can't really just say one is better than the other it's like what you said chris it just depends on on the the, the medium
For all the listeners out there, the environment we are recording in doesn't seem to be that important because you can't see the space. But to get beautiful sound, whether it's for a podcast, recording music, or even for film, TV, and advertisements, the space you're in and how it runs matters. That's why we record Stay Reading out of Post Office Sound in Liberty Village. From the raw audio to creating a sound bed and all of the magic that happens in post, the difference can not only be heard, it can be felt. So to all the creatives out there, if you need great audio, think Post Office Sound. I brought really weird ones today, but okay. Can we look at this? This? Okay, so this, I went to the Canadian Art Gala and I got this in the gift bag. (laughs) (laughs) But what I loved about it, uh, so the first thing I loved about it was the cover. And it's, um, so it's, the, the theme of this edition of Canadian Art is Undoing Painting, and the cover is, um comic uh comic book that has been turned into uh essentially a painting and it's by this artist um oh i won't be able to say oh yeah sunny asu and i hope i'm pronouncing his name properly but essentially and i and i actually flagged this he's so um, dope is he actually read this article oh have you read this article um so i was just gonna read first is he first nations yes he is so i so, I'll let you read it, and then I share. Okay, so Sunny Asu turned to comic books to seek out uh, teachings about kinship, bravery, and humility that he was disconnected from during his youth. Asu looked to figures such as Spider-Man and the X-Men, seeking familiar narratives about racism, working-class realities, and alienation. What a reassurance it must have been to encounter, for instance, the character Wolverine, who gains strength from qualities society sees as weaknesses um, when journeying to find his own power. As an adult, Asu found that the companies that made the comic books he loved, he so loved were riddled with the same unethical practices that characterize any commercial endeavor operating on stolen indigenous lands. In the spectacular boom, Asu destroys the comic books he once lovingly collected, cutting them up and painting over them with form lines. By exposing and covering various parts of compositions, Asu reveals beautiful new images that honor where he has come from and where he is now in his personal evolution to reclaim traditional teachings. That was written by Lindsay Nixon. Yeah, nothing more to say. Nothing more to say. In terms of like, yeah, I I saw that I picked up this issue. Mm -hmm. um, And at first, when I saw the cover, I had no idea of the magazine because you just see like, some comic book mm-hmm. slides or um, panels covered up with some shapes and mm-hmm. paint. I was, and I genuinely just thought it was just an artistic cover yeah. and it was going to be, obviously it is referencing comic books, but I wasn't expecting that it was just part of someone else's journey in, in art itself. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and the way he uses comics to tell these other stories mm-hmm. of like indigenous values, um, the institutional racism, mm-hmm. um, the way that there's some aspirational elements to superheroes, but then how like problematic it is in terms of whose imaginations are being privileged in the world of superheroes. Especially and, because when I especially when I think of um, X Men and the Marvel universe, it's all about it. It really is about the um, you know the outcast and um, and. And evolution, um, and so there's these beautiful themes and like and morals, and yet here he is actually discovering. Wait a second, it isn't all mm-hmm. what we think yeah. it is, especially when it comes to 
beyond the story and and the corporation and everything. And it's a little disappointing, but it's also amazing how, yes, he has deconstructed it and bring, brought in his own indigenous kind of undertone to to the comics and, and reclaimed it, but also he's just created something beautiful too like beyond like as someone who I'm not indigenous so I I still look at it and I'm like this is stunning and 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 it also seems to me which I interpret as like a tribute to comic books too and so I don't know I I love the cover is he speaking that within when he's when she wrote that the establishments putting them out mm-hmm. have uh, uh inequalities is she talking about Marvel in general like I was curious about that, too. I didn't know exactly, because it, it was interesting that I thought he was taking uh, comics as an inspiration, and then when he flipped it and thought that there was within, it's... Yeah, it seems yeah. like the well, company. I mean, from what I read about it, it was, it was yeah, on the side of the business practices. Yeah, the business is not And the... also, like, who are the artists? How are the artists treated? There's there's a lot of stories of, like, some companies breaking off or artists breaking off, forming new companies because of that. But also, <clears throat> the, who is covered, who is privileged, and some of the um, yeah. issues as well. Because I've collected comics books as a kid, and uh, there's more than a handful of artists that were, uh, um, I guess... Uh, minorities and there was a lot of guys that I loved that were artists and so I felt like in that realm I always felt represented although I was always we always have this chat with friends that I'd be like uh, who would the Asian superhero be (laughs) and um, it's like who's our Iron Man or Captain America but when as a kid you don't see obviously you don't you don't think of inequality Mm -hmm. and racism and representation Mm -hmm. but it's funny looking back that you're like oh wait I love Superman and Batman, mm-hmm. and you don't realize that. Mm-hmm. Well, the funny thing for me was, um, so X-Men was always my, like, I actually am obsessed with X-Men. And so I actually re- remember when you were talking about this, I remember thinking, oh, I should, like, um, what's her? It's Jew, the one Asian. Jean- oh, uh, uh, One Asian, she, like, has sparks. Anyway, she's. Psylocke. No, not Psylocke. Oh, Psylocke, too. But no, not Psylocke. It was, like, a younger one. Anyways, I'll, I'll remember her name afterwards, but she, like. Jubilee. Had, like, Jubilee. I knew it started with a J. I'm like, oh, I should like Jubilee. She's Asian. She kind of looks like me when I was little. I'm half Asian, though, but, like, doesn't matter. And But no, I was like, no, I love Rogue. Rogue's yeah. my favorite. Phoenix is my favorite. Like, it doesn't matter. And they're still different, and they're still powerful, and they're still women. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyhow, that's a whole other another conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, yeah, I'm glad you... Well, I was going to ask you if you were both into comics at all. I, I wasn't really growing yeah. up. No, I didn't. I didn't. I mean, like, I can appreciate them now as I'm getting older, but I don't. No, I didn't. I mean, I saw the movies, mm-hmm. but I didn't read the comics. Mm-hmm. But I'm fine. It's interesting. Do you find that you watch everything in your... Not anymore, um, no. No? I, don't, I, I feel like because time is so limited, like, I can't I scatter say. myself so much. Mm-hmm. I actually have to focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't, I can't watch everything. Mm-hmm. But a lot of other people I know in different parts of the film industry, if they're in development, they have to. So, but I can't. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Even just for my it. mind. There's just not enough time to absorb not it. Well, time, we, yeah. we are in that place now where they've recently um, announced that they're allowing you not just to listen to podcast speed up, but to watch shows. I think oh. Netflix is adding it where you can at, at oh, 1.2 or 1.5. So, I feel about that. Oh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Either, like, you want like to try and get in, basically consume more of this content, right? Yeah, it's but like, I feel like it's as a filmmaker or as a producer, I. That I pay a lot of attention to music and yeah. flow and pacing, and yeah. that would just you know. Oh, sorry. I was just saying that it, it, why. What's the goal there? The goal is to just consume more. Yeah. yeah For yeah. me, my in my life, my goal is absolutely not to mm-hmm. consume more. It's to consume 
quality over quality. quantity. Well, yeah. this is like, the thing where I think he kind of hits the nail on the head without it, with sidestepping a bit, is like there's the art and then there's the business of art. Yeah. And so Netflix is the business of of television and, and movies and that side of it. And so they, yes, they they invest a lot into the art of it, but they're also saying, how can we get, get more users? How do, how do they consume more? Because there's so much to consume. And what's really scary, though, is I literally always come back to Fahrenheit 451. Um, I actually never watched the movie. I tried to and it was I couldn't get into it. But the book, I, I, I read it and it was scary because I still remember the scene of the wife just like a zombie. I don't know if you've read the book. This is the Denzel movie? No. What movie is Fahrenheit? Michael B. Jordan is in the movie version. I don't know if that the latest one of it. I couldn't get into it, but there, I, I'm sure there might have been an earlier version of the movie. But the book is incredible. I would read it. It's, it was actually written. The author wrote it um, in, like, don't quote me exactly on this, but like nine days at the library. And it was, and it's a classic and it's phenomenal and it speaks to exactly where we are right now. I read um, it. Yeah, it's essentially about um dystopia within the di- yeah, yeah, dystopia, dictatorship and books being seen as a threat and so there's the most emblematic part of this book is uh the burning of books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and and as the a way of like a, not, erasing ideas. Yeah, the firefighters um are the main characters and they're their uh, task not to save people from fires. Their task to discover books and put them and and oh wow and burn them. I had no. I thought it was just like a firefighter movie. Yeah, no, I, I had no, no idea. That's it was why. like this. So no. it's an alternate reality. It's an alternate reality. And then there's a scene that I always come back to, and I always think about it. It's like, uh, yeah. So not only are they burning books, but they're essentially trying to reprogram everyone's thinking. And and it's basically like a 1984, right? Where they're just, um, yeah, they're just trying to control the population. And so they control through uh, visual media. And so everyone's homes have, like, they, they, anyhow, they, they, everyone's homes have um, projection, projections. And the, the fire, the main character's wife is just constantly a zombie, just like this on the couch. And this is my imagination of it, just watching a, a, a wall Overconsumption. Yeah, overconsumption. And so what's scaring me, and the reason why I bring this up, I wish I brought the book, um, is that uh, to to know that Netflix is speeding up, uh, potentially. Oh, they are. Yeah, so they are going to be speeding up content. I'm just... Scared well, they're for... offering viewers that uh, that option, right? And it, I think to your question, it is about like, you know, I want to be around the water cooler talking about this show, this show, and this show. I don't have enough time at the actual speed of them to watch mm-hmm. them all, which is like crazy because you think about also how will that change the way some things are produced, right? Where it's oh, like, gosh. just like album artwork when it was going to be printed on a 12-inch vinyl cover mm-hmm. it's different than okay well this album artwork is going to show up on your phone and streaming Small service so yeah what what yeah. should it look like you know um where some films aren't going to translate well to speeding up right yeah. but mm-hmm. if I, now i'm making a series and i'm like okay well when we're producing this we need to produce That's it in right. a way that it works well at like one point like you know regular speed or 1.2 or 1.5 um, or even like crazy, I don't know. Right? I imagine it like when it was 3D when 3D was introduced, mm-hmm. right? Oh gosh. Anyways, that's yeah. yeah that's no, yeah, let's, let's go to another book. Let's go to another book. Because we're gonna okay. just talk about this. No, 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 it's okay. <laughs> but the thing with 3D is it really didn't take off. It didn't so actually. Just, I hate 3D. It gives me. I such think a our minds can only handle, handle so certain much. things, yeah. and hopefully I feel this like is certain things won't. Hopefully this is just an experiment as well, and some people will pick it up, and then most majority of people will not. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. Um. 
I, I picked a book by Bell Hooks called uh, The Will to Change, and it's looking at masculinity, love, and um, patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like, I, for me, like, most of my life's work in terms of film, I always want to be examining everything from, as much as possible from an intersectional feminist lens, but also I'm obsessed with examining patriarchy in my work. And I read this I read this book before I wrote Firecrackers or as I was writing Firecrackers. Um, and there's a passage in here about young boys. And it reminded me of my brother, but it also reminded me of one of the characters I wrote. And it's just an ongoing thing I think about. Um, so this is Bell Hooks talking about her little brother. Uh, in, in his boyhood, my brother, like so many boys, just longed to express himself. He did not want to conform to a rigid, a rigid script of appropriate maleness. As a consequence, he was scorned and ridiculed by our patriarchal dad. In his younger years, our brother was a loving presence in our household, capable of expressing emotions of wonder and delight. As patriarchal thinking and action claimed him in adolescence, he learned to mask his loving feelings. He entered that space of alienation and antisocial behavior deemed quote-unquote natural for adolescent boys. His six sisters witnessed the change in him and mourned the loss of our connection. The damage done to his self-esteem and boyhood has lingered throughout his life, for he continues to grapple with the issue of whether he will define himself or allow himself to be defined by patriarchal standards. Oh, wow. And I think, like, this is, like, something I always like to explore in my work, and I'm going to keep exploring in the stuff that I write f now further. And um, I always think, like, women talk a lot about this stuff, and I, I don't, I still don't hear it being talked about in male circles or in like, you know, enough like exam self-examination of like what's happened, like because we live in patriarchy. And um, I, I, I think it starts in that at that age. And I and I wrote a character that was very much sort of it, like influenced by that, but also influenced by my own little brother mm -hmm. and, and like how that those ideas were spread either by your mom or your dad mm -hmm. or both. And, like, how that system continues. Well, I always say my little brother was, if he was born now, he would be much more confident and different because I felt like I was more masculine and he was more feminine. And so he has struggled for, I call him a late bloomer now, but because he's so talented, he's so incredible, but he has struggled. His confidence has been squashed because um, of the ideas that were that ha are still perpetuated by a patriarchal system and his ex expectations of how he should be. Yeah. Um, and so, it, yeah, it resonates so the, much. The film is coming to me, because I watched Firecrackers, um, the feature, full-length feature. The, one of the most disturbing scenes for me was there's this scene where um, the two girls, who are, they have this guy who's their friend. Mm -hmm. They're hanging out kind of in a field, and an ex-boyfriend, I think, yeah. comes. And... Um, physically eventually just picks up um the girl his ex-girlfriend because he wants to talk to her she doesn't want to mm. and he's like i'm going to carry you over here and the boy who's their friend um tries to like intervene and other guys are like you know back him down um that was such a disturbing scene to me but um eventually the the I, i'm assuming this is the character the the boy who's the friend of the two girls well it's a little bit him but it's mostly the, yeah. actually the little brother in the film oh, okay because oh yeah yeah oh yeah, yeah true that's a whole other well what i thought for him was like the one who's the friend how that re connected to me was like there's a moment later where you you just see him kind of give up on being an ally to these girls yeah and that part really was, yeah. was disturbing yeah 
What's interesting is, um, so I have, <laughs> I always have these controversial, like, views of, you know, things. And one of them is feminism. And I'm, I'm obviously a feminist. Like, it's, it's so obvious. But I just, I, I'm now thinking, like, we're kind of beyond this, the, not all of us. I think there's a lot of women who require a safe space of women only um, conversation and, and space, as I said. But like, the reason why it's hard to include men is because we're not including men and men need to be taught. You know what I mean? They're, they've been taught how to be um, like masculine and the, 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 and take on certain gendered roles. But so they need to be taught or like have the opportunity to, to have conversations. And a lot of women aren't strong enough and shouldn't be put in the place of education. Um, so how do we, how do we do that? Like, it's like conversations like this, bringing up texts yeah. like that, um, recommending books to our male counterparts, um, be them, Feminine or masculine, or uh, female too. or male identified yeah. films yeah. as well. Firecrackers is a really good one for that. What are your thoughts? Joe, on yeah, this, how does Joe? how does how does that um, passage <laughs> uh, like as a man? How does that passage um, connect with you? Does it bring you to childhood? Does it bring you to friendships? Does it bring you to your current I relationships? I think uh, I think anyone, at least for me, growing up with two sisters, there's automatically one older, one younger. Um, there's automatically, I guess, uh, an insight into what female perception is on their growing because you're always there at home and you see uh, effects maybe uh, indirectly or directly from um, a male patriarchal system through your sisters or their experience. So you, mm -hmm. I feel like I have more of a uh, sensitivity. Um, um, but um, I don't know. Obviously, we have a long way to go. And it's, but it's, it's yeah, it's, a, it's hard when it comes to when you're you always feel the pressure of i guess what society wants or tries to position you in and i don't know it's always hard to break out of expectations and and i don't know just the movement now it seems like it's swung so far to the words we're in a sensitive uh uh society where we're in cancel culture in uh, many ways and i feel like you're right there is there has to be more of a conversation interaction to i guess move things forward yeah I, I like how bell hooks i think is someone who's thought so much about this and is able to articulate the effect that patriarchy has on boys as they're becoming men um because i think we we do look at how does patriarchy affect women and that's that is the center of the conversation um with feminism but i think bringing that conversation also to say like okay not to center men in the conversation about the effects of patriarchy, but also to include like, okay, well, how does patriarchy affect men? That it's harmful to men as well. Mm -hmm. And okay, well, what are its harms? And how do its harms show up? Mm -hmm. And I think that passage in, in uh, Firecrackers as a film does show that, especially with the little brother character mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, and to bring it back, actually, and I don't know, but like to bring it back actually to human nature and Chernobyl, mm -hmm. not to like actually make a full circle, but I was just thinking how sometimes we get so caught up in the movement um, that we just forget to recognize our human nature and how are we just um, with a different conversation, are we just repeating our same mistakes and not like actually transferring lessons we've learned through other things. Um, like for instance, with the Me Too movement, um, we need it. We need, we continue to need it, but like we're, 
now we have this whole term called cancel culture where we're not actually listening and then we're just pushing people away further. What, but that's not necessarily the case. It's just what media is also projecting. Yeah. Um, so it becomes like dangerous. It becomes very dangerous when we're so ready to fight rather than let it, ready to yeah. listen. Mm-hmm. Um, Z- Zadie Smith said something amazing. She was um, here recently. Oh, you saw it. Oh, I'm so for jealous. Her, um, <laughs> book of short stories. She just released a thing. It's called Grand Union. Um, but she was interviewed by Deborah, Deborah Dundas in the Toronto Star. She talks about empathy and she's talking about all these things you mentioned, like cancel culture and social media. Um, and she says, I think the hardest thing for anyone is accepting that other people are as real as you are. That's it. Not using them as tools, not using them as examples or things to make yourself feel better or things to get over or under. Just accepting that they are absolutely as real as you and have all the same expectations and demands. It's so difficult that basically the only person that ever did it was Christ. The rest of us are very, very far behind. Mm. Um, And I I saw a post yesterday. um, FYI. I'm reading this off my phone. <laughs> Usually you do the print stuff. I know, like, and Chris is it was like, an article. Chris is yeah. like the most diligent about the print. He's like, when we first started this podcast, he's like, only print. And we were like, no, it's too limited. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I saw this post well, last night said um, along the lines of like, can can we stop trying to cancel people who are doing something that you recently just stopped doing mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw, I actually posted that too. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah I but I think that idea of like, yeah. I, I, let's look at, okay, it could be messed up, that person, wherever they're at, but let's also recognize that as, as sick as wherever that person may be or whatever they're struggling with or how messed up that situation is, that person that you're tweeting about or seeing online, like is as real as you. And when you add that dimension to it, mm-hmm. um, and Zadie Smith is so, like, in the interview, I recommend reading yeah. it. She does a great job of breaking down, like, how social media and how our digital world that we're engaging with by by design strips that element away from mm-hmm. us, of, of, allows us to see other people as unreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have one more? Yeah, I'll do a short one. Passage or anything before we start? War of Art. War of oh. Art. Oh, wait, and you said to me earlier, this is like the book that you always lend out. This is the book I always lend out. And right now, I would have brought it, but it's being lent out. So now he's reading from a sheet of I paper. Bought a, I bought a couple friends' copies. Of yeah? The, the yeah. War of Art, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, especially friends that are in freelance or oh, have, have recently not read it. grinded. Anyways, uh, I chose two. I'm going to go with... Okay. <laughs> so I chose two. The most pernicious aspect of procrastination is that it can become a habit. We don't just put off our lives today, we put them off till our deathbed. Never forget this very moment we can change our lives. There never was a moment and never will be when we are without the power to alter our destiny. The second, This second we can turn the tables on resistance. This second we can sit down and do our work. Hmm. So the book centers around resistance, which he calls the power that stops you, I guess, from accomplishing everything you want in life or in even in just in the minute hour day mm-hmm. um and he speaks a lot about the freelancer who the resistance is what wants you to stay in bed or hit snooze five times or stay on the couch with your dog or, or do other tasks that other are tasks not the one at hand that is separating you <laughs> the from the like, yep, yep, right yep. <laughs> and the yeah. resistance i just love it because it's what everyone that wants to do good work 
has to fight through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's yeah. so cool about this book for me is that sometimes you can feel very isolated and like, okay, I have this thing to do, I have this to accomplish, and then I'm struggling to get it done. I'm getting distracted by these things. And he the the description throughout the book really centers this thing as it's a part of the creative struggle. It's a mm-hmm. part of the creative journey. It's a part of all of us that you are going to naturally be drawn into undermining the fulfillment of your ideas and potential. Mm-hmm. So how do you navigate that, knowing that, versus being surprised or like, woe is me, or I'm the only one. What you know, happens? One thing I had to do for myself, and I ha- still have a, a, a like um, a notepad full of these quotes, but I was trying to write a novel 10 years ago. I still have 10 chapters. I wrote 10 chapters of it, which is impressive, but I was also like 10 years younger, so it probably sucks. That doesn't matter. That's my own whatever. But I... I was A, on a roll, but I obviously still had hit uh, hit roadblocks. So I would do two things. I would slave over my playlist to write to. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I need good music to, like, get myself in the mind. (laughs) So that was, like, like, putting off something to work on that, which I would then also put off. So I was, like, I was, like, procrastinating like layers layers of it but then the second thing I did to make myself feel better was I actually compiled a bunch of quotes from uh, my favorite writers or just prolific writers talking about how hard writing was and it was just like it made me because I'm I'm I've been a freelancer my entire life and so I don't really tend to I mean I talk to a lot of freelancers about this but not actually as much as I probably should just to feel less alone and feel less pressure on myself but I remember once in a while when I was really like feeling like why am I what am I doing why am I not doing anything I would reference these quotes and it like it would just help me so much because I, I would just think how do people write these books like mm-hmm. does it just like how do you write like what's your process that's the hard that like when I wrote a feature is the first feature I wrote it took like a year not full time but like took a year to write it and I went through I didn't realize how challenging it would be and like you just the 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 peaks and valleys emotionally and like yeah, I would, like, be like, I need the right music to write this mm-hmm, scene. And mm-hmm. then you spend all day trying to find music. And uh, now I'm, like, writing, going back to writing again. I'm like, here we go. Like, <laughs> it's like, okay, today, you can't, you also can't, for me, you can't write all day. Like, the expectations you put on yourself mm-hmm. to be creative, it's just like, okay, maybe you're going to write only for an hour or two. Maybe, and some days it'd be like, just write a scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just write, like, the scene and then walk away. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's more like those, like, expectations you put mm-hmm. on yourself to create. It's not other people don't understand that. And I think there's sometimes guilt that comes with like mm-hmm. with other people are like, uh, just write a draft by next week or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, that's not the way creativity works no. for me. So it's like there's all that guilt and shame. I should read that. Book. <laughs> I should read it, it too. I've never read it. I'm telling yeah. you, it's what I hand to especially creative people because a lot of times we're brainwashed into this nine to five. Mm-hmm. Yes. I gotta I gotta and it's less about the nine to five sit down and do those hours but it's more about the consistency of sitting down and saying I don't I know this could be hard or I might have nothing in my head but I'm gonna get to work and it's and it's putting in work even when you don't want to it's like yeah. discipline yeah. And, discipline. yeah and I think it's also just opening up that that thing that feels like such an individual struggle where you feel like like a loser for not doing what you're supposed to do today yeah. or yeah. you're not making progress on this project mm-hmm. or and, and it's like no this is actually a part of the this mm-hmm. craft and this mm-hmm. journey of mm-hmm. creating is that you do have these forces w- internally mm-hmm. and externally that you that you need to deal with and so by becoming conscious of it you can 
mm-hmm. navigate it more cleanly. And what's yeah. interesting is it's not even just writing. It's everything. Like, even sometimes the roadblocks I'll encounter when Chris is like, okay, hey, we got to do this other uh, podcast now. I'm like, yeah. I don't. why am I feeling <laughs> this way? You know what I mean? It's such an interesting—it it, it manifests in so many different ways, this feeling of— uh, responsibility and guilt and pressure or non non pressure so for anyone who's listening and you maybe can't relate to the writing aspect it it, it, it yeah, something right you, yeah it's right across the board with almost anything especially if you work for yourself yeah um and when on no that one, no one's there no one's there you know the strange thing that struck me i was at like in the art gallery of ontario recently looking as a guess on paintings and what hit me was like I realize a lot of times because you look at that painting and you feel inspired, you think that the process of creating it should feel inspired. like what it looking yes. at it feels like. Yes. You know, you watch this film and you're so inspired by this film that you think that making a film like that should feel like how it felt to watch that mm-hmm. film. And it doesn't. No. You know, it's not. Oh, my God, Chris, you literally just blew my mind. Because, like, <laughs> that's what that I've never heard it said that way, but that's exactly what I feel. I'm like, I've seen such prolific work i want to create something prolific it should feel prolific (laughs) but it doesn't it's just hard work work. does not feel prolific um yeah that's my takeaway oh yeah it's it's so true and like i think because i'm writing again it it feels like that and that's after like a year of being on set and directing other people's work which is like very it's not easy it's difficult in its own way but it just it's like a train that keeps rolling and you're feeding off adrenaline and nobody and it's not you're not self-generating so it's like okay like that felt so satisfying then when you go and you have a blank page and like i'm creating something from nothing it's like the pressure is huge Mm -hmm. and like i always think and like it's just like it's literally just chipping away every day or not every day even just chipping away like as much as you can during a week and then giving yourself breaks to walk away and like also let your subconscious mind do the work too. Mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. recognizing that like forcing ideas, like that's only one part of the creative process. Mm-hmm. The other part is subconscious. So it's mm-hmm. like thinking is a part of the work too. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, what about you? You create a, across a lot of mediums. Yeah. Or at least I try to, yeah, I guess I find that I'm happiest when I'm creating in different kind of worlds. And and how does this conversation land in your work? And how do you see when you're reading this book, The Art of War, are you actually applying it? Um, I don't know. It just kind of inspires me to consistently at least be mindful that uh, it's not easy. And anything that you that's worth actually working for, you, you kind of have to go through a lot of resistance, whether it be outside and internal. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, we are we're always closed with the question of, based off of this conversation, the things we shared with each other, what are you going to take with you into the day, into the week, out of this room? Mm-hmm. Well, definitely just this last conversation based on your book that you, or the quote you shared, Joe, because I am in that creative process. So yeah, thinking about my own creativity and then also just thinking about like, needing to read more diverse works like you know other than just scripts i think is like so important to like open my mind up but also the whole purpose of stay reading is that you're reading and that there is this like pressure to oh i should read this i should read that um but what we want to say is that recognize like you actually are reading and yes and encourage people to be like oh i'm already reading so maybe i can pick this up um but like on the same note of resistance and guilt just like let it flow (laughs) (laughs) i already taught honestly my biggest takeaway was that ago epiphany so i 
thank you for that. <laughs> well, th- this is like maybe the fifth time the will to change has yep. crossed my path. So <laughs> what I take away is that I need to buy that book today because <laughs> I keep on seeing it. And every time someone shares a piece from it, it's like, ah, oh, I needed I needed this conversation. Especially as a dad, right? Yeah, as a dad, and like, you know, you're, Joe, you're talking about having sisters. I didn't grow up with sisters. I have one brother, but, ha- you know, my, my wife, Crystal's taught me a lot about what it is to be a woman in the world, but then having two daughters, and one of them is a year old, but one is turning six just now, and mm-hmm. she is very, very, very gender conscious, very strong, very, like, says things so clearly, like, if you, you know, like, come on, guys, come on, guys, I'm not a guy. I'm not a guy. Why do you, you know what I mean? And it's like um, wanting to see herself um, represented well. And so I think there is that. Like, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm really looking forward to getting this book because I think that um, there's so many things that like I'm going to spend the rest of my life unwrapping. Wa- unlearning. All of these things mm-hmm. that like I grew up with just as through living in a patriarchy as a man that centers my experience way more than it ever, you know, deserves to be, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and that to detriment to all of us, so. Yeah. yeah. Now I want to, I haven't, Chernobyl's been on my uh, queue. <gasps> you haven't watched it? No, because it's heavy from what I hear. Very heavy. But it's but in my so queue, necessary. so now it's moving up, and I want to read the script after. Are you going to watch it at, like, I'm a big fan regular speed or speed? Or speed <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, right. it's that's literally... At least it's only five episodes. Yeah. I think that's the good thing about that. Yeah, it's like Fleabag season one. It's oh, just yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, what? just... Is it good? I heard that that's good. I've heard that it's a fun, good thing. It's very good. Okay, I'll watch it too. Easy. It's easy to watch. It's easy to watch, yeah. Yeah. It's not Chernobyl. (laughs) But thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Stay Reading. And if you want to find any of the titles we discussed today or learn more about our guests, you can always check at double underscore stay reading on Instagram. And wherever you listen, don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share.